0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique best self meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is John Jones. John co-founded AnthroWare in 2013 to build brands and products the right way, always starting from a creative, design, and user-first posture. AnthroWare exists to create products that make it easy to do hard things, and they do that by obsessing over design and the people and organizations that use the software. John leads this rapidly growing company's business design, innovation, culture, and goals. Welcome to the podcast, John. I'm delighted to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and chatting with you, and um, this is a great opportunity, so thank you.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm interested in knowing, uh, I mean, there's a lot of tech companies out there. There's a lot of people doing... Um, different things in that sector. And I'm curious how you see your company, AnthroWare's impact in the kind of larger scheme of things.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That, I mean, I'll start with a like a definition, which is there's a difference between companies where the, their biggest value prop is tech and companies where it's they're enabled by tech. And, mm. you know, AnthroWare is we view it as a full service creative agency and product studio. And if you think about if you think about a spectrum of, of you know innovation and and which is a totally overused word, but I'm gonna use it anyway. <laughs> and what and what companies do to be innovative. You can be innovative in tech, and that usually means that there's some part of your process that's R&D based or somehow cutting edge and you're really pushing the boundaries with the technology. Um, and, or it could be innovative in terms of experience or uh, business, you know, there, there are innovative business plans that get designed um, to be, you know, just a really great business plan that, that solves a problem in a way nobody else has done it. Um, and when we looked at Antherware on that spectrum, we realized, you know, the the six years we've been around, we've been around since 2013. We've innovated technology exactly twice, but yeah. we feel like we are in this really creative, innovative um, environment. So it was a it was a really you know stark you know kind of shake up where where we all of a sudden realized, we're, hey, we're not a tech company. We're a we're a design company with innovate designs and experiences, and we take really hard things in people's lives and make them easy with technology. And the end result is we're building apps. We're building web platforms. We're building these beautiful brands, but the things that are innovative are often the experiences. Um, it's not, we're not innovating really from a technology standpoint very often. Hmm. It's a, it's a product product development company. Um, and you asked me about our impact using the right, partners is a huge part of that. We're a service company. I mean, we, we generally build things when people, you know, are looking for, you know, product development, they hire us as a kind of on demand, you know, team that, that can do that really effectively. We've had the opportunity to work on some pretty amazing products in the healthcare space and education space that really impact people's lives. And you know, I, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but that was one of the really important reasons for us to start a company is that we didn't feel like we had we having an impact. We felt like we were working really hard, but we it, you know it was a very very thin thread to follow to to, to see a positive impact on somebody's lives, and we we really want to do that now. Hmm. Um,
0: is that why you chose those sectors, healthcare and education?
1: Well, we kind of looked into that. We were working in education, which is a you know highly regulated, secure industry, and you know you're dealing with not just you know education records, but oftentimes health records and, and um, information about little kids. So it's a it's it was a very good place to cut our teeth in sort of that you know secure, big, enterprise, scalable world. Um, the company that we worked for at the time, Public Consulting Group, wonderful company, wonderful place to work. They also had a huge division that was in health healthcare. And so when we when we parted ways, um they immediately became a our client and one of our best clients today. And uh we 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 were exposed to to healthcare um by working with them. So mm. those kind of highly regulated industries where building stuff the right way is, is really, really important. It was a great place to to start out.
0: Yeah. Well, it's something i I read that you'd written um is about and this you've touched on this already is talking about emotion and relationships and business and talk about how you see relationships and finding a good match and how you found how do you find those good connections
1: well, I mean, wow, that's a great question Ursula um Great question. I think it, it really impacts the reason it's a good question is because it really impacts many different levels of your business. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the people that you want to be around in your work environment, they're fun. For us in our company, our, our specific culture, we realized that. These are very motivated people. They're not the people that are, you know, punching a clock and collecting a paycheck. They're the ones that are constantly learning and and just desire to be the best. And um, they're also humble. And like building that team, the byproduct of finding those things, we found friendships, right? And when you think about work, and you think about the team. There's this idea that business and work—I'm sorry, business and and personal stuff—is separate, mm-hmm. and it's a lie, right? We should stop saying that. You bring <laughs> the personal stuff to work. You know, you when you have a relationship problem, that's baggage that comes with you. You know, maybe you're short to a coworker, and and all this kind of stuff. So there is a, a connection between personal and business. Um, there's also responsibility, right, of of leadership to To make decisions um, that are business related, not personal related, but like building that building that culture is a, is a really important piece. Um, when you then think about you know, your partnerships, we have what we call in management here, the, the fun equation or the happiness equation. And we, we set our goals based on this and it sounds really silly, but I'll, I'll explain it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that is an input into our happiness equation is obviously like, are we going to be able, you know, is this aligned with our our company's mission? And, you know, we're not going to work with somebody that's not, um, you know, we don't relate to them somehow, but doing business with people that you would be friends with. Think about it. That, that means that you're going to care about the relationship. You're not going to take it for granted. They're not going to take you for granted they're likely going to fit the same mold that you that I just described to fit our team where they're they're smart, passionate, humble people that, you know, deeply care about their craft and they they want to do things. So you're finding a partner that's an extension of your team and now you can collaborate and work better together. And caring for that relationship and caring for relationships over a long term isn't, you know, something that your CRM alerts you to do and you all of a sudden have to call <laughs> Bob. You, mm-hmm. like Bob. you care about Bob and you, you just saw some interesting thing that Bob would, would think is cool and you sent it to him. And so I, I think that it just lifts this burden off of the business aspect to work with people that you genuinely care about and want to be in a relationship with. And, um, and you end up having more fun. The, the team is more trusted. Um, you're, you're more val high, you're highly valued by that, that partner even more than you would be. Um, they respect you. Like there, there's just a lot of, of of stuff that 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 comes with that. I don't even know if I answered your question.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that um, what you're talking about. There were a number of things I want to come back to. One of them is that I mean, the old model used to be you show up at work as your work persona, and you don't bring your personal self in. Right. And in my experience in corporate years ago when I I worked in that setting, that was the expectation. And it makes for a, a difficult work environment, I think, if they're if you don't forge individual relationships. Whereas what you're talking about is a more holistic, let's bring all of yourself into uh, the business setting. And uh, this doesn't mean that you get to kind of rain on other people's parade because you're having a bad day, but because you have that um, authentic presence you can connect with people in a humane person-to-person way that just makes for a much better work environment and I think a better outcome as well what do you what do you think about that aspect yeah
1: I mean everybody's a jerk every once in a while right like (laughs) but usually like if you approach it from a friendship standpoint your immediate reaction is not normally you know you're more likely, I guess, to, to wonder what's going on in their life. Like that's not normal behavior. Like what's mm-hmm. going on, you know, that, that they would react that way and they were a jerk to me, then to just jump the gun. And so I think, I think you get a little bit more grace mm-hmm. in your relationships if you have that, that depth there. Um, and it, you know, there's a trust equation to that too. And, and, and people, um, you know, you build trust over time and, and, you're much more likely to, to maintain it. If, if you actually, if you're, if you all feel like you're kind of in the same on the same team and on the same boat. And it's a very, you know, I've been in the corporate world before I worked for a, a couple of large companies prior to starting Antherware, which is our first business. And um, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think personal relationships exist in every workplace, whether or not that's cultural, maybe the determining factor, maybe if that's something that the company is investing in in their culture, that may be a difference than, that you would see or feel. But you know, you make great friends at at, at every job. Um, I think it might be the culture thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd
1: right. think more about that. It's a good question.
0: Well, it kind of leads to the question of, so how do you how do you look for that when you're hiring someone? Because not everybody's going to feel necessarily comfortable with that, or, or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe people do feel comfortable with it and it's up to leaders to make sure that the, the culture gets communicated. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, you know, first of all, we've made the decision here right or wrong that the very first interview that we have with anybody that wants to work here, is to determine whether or not they're a cultural fit. Mm -hmm. Skills are actually actually secondary to the culture that we're trying to build. We're relatively young. Only we've only been around for six years. We're growing really fast. And the environment is where we are right now is very specific um, to the type of people that will be successful here. And so identifying, it's not just identifying whether or not the person's nice and wants to be a part of the community, like the more communal aspect or the friendship stuff that we were talking about. That's modeled for them when they come here and visit the company, they still have to want to work here and that's modeled for them when they walk through the doors. It's obvious that these people care about each other. If they, if they just want to, you know, be a gray man and come and leave and and not be noticed that, you know, they, they they have to make that decision on their own as well. It's very, very hard to figure that out um, how much they're going to contribute. Um, but the pieces that we can't figure out is like knowing that we're growing fast, you know, uh, having some emotional intelligence and and being, l- letting things roll off your back, you know, and, and responding well to changes, uh, not letting that, you know, drag you down. That actually is a trait that means that you will fit in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can tell, I think it's really easy to tell when people are super like, full of themselves and prideful and they have to be the smartest person. They have to always have the last word, like whatever it is, you can see an ego a mile away and knowing that the team that we have now has a very low ego, and that we all, we all feel that that is very special. It's so nice to not feel challenged by somebody that has a better idea than you. Right. You can just be like, wow, that is a great idea and work on that idea. Yeah. And so, you know, culturally the first interview, I can spot an ego a mile away. I literally just talked to this, this guy from, you know, several States away, no chance of running into him again, I hope. And he, you know, was obviously full of himself. And I, I said, Hey, you know, man, one of the, one of the things that we think is really important here is, is just not having to be the smart, smartest person in the room. We work with a, our whole mo is hiring people that are smarter than we are. And we mm-hmm. just want to work on the coolest stuff and solve the hardest problems and, and collaborate. And that takes a lot of humility. And I think he talked for 12 minutes about how humble he was. So, <laughs> you know, it, I think some of that the cultural things are, are easier to spot than others, but um, those, are, those are some of the things that we look at and we've had a, a pretty high success rate with with our team.
0: Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, it, it also makes me think of the question of fit in terms of customers because obviously they're uh, an integral part of the business, an essential part, and they influence um so many aspects of the business in the particular engagement, if it doesn't run smoothly can be a source of, of really quite big stress. So how do you look for a good fit in terms of customers in that sort of uh, less definitive way? I mean, there's the project itself, obviously. um, But can you, can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. And I think every company goes through through figuring this out and it's going to be different for everybody and there are different reasons to make these decisions too and they're not all you know there's no cut and dry answer and in addition like you know if you're listening you're just starting out you feel a lot of pressure to take every client Mm -hmm. the luxury of success (laughs) is Being able to understand when that client is not a good cultural fit. And Simon Sinek, everybody loves him and I think he's great. He talks about how your best customers are the ones that believe the same thing you believe. Mm -hmm. So if you take a solid look at your culture and your company, what you stand for, the things that your team values, which by the way could be a little bit different than what you personally value or what you thought we were going to value. Right. But those things just pay attention to those over time. And if you understand those and you relate it back to that, your best customer is going to believe the same things that you believe. It doesn't have, they don't have to believe everything. Right. But you should have some solid overlap in how you're going to treat each other and you know, the, maybe some cultural things just about, you know, what do they care about? Do they, do they invest a lot of time in their people? Well, that means they obviously care about people. Are they already, like as a more pragmatic sense, based, based on the fact that I just told you we were a creative agency and a design firm first, and you know, we do build technology, but we're leading with that creative agency foot. If our partners are, um, they, if they think they need software developed, and they don't put enough emphasis on the user experience and the brand and how it actually makes people feel, then it will be a very hard engagement. We've learned that over the years. So we look, we actually look at those companies and we say, wow, they've, they actually have, you know, five user experience people. One of our partners now has, has a team of five. They're paying salaries. They already value that. That's great. Mm -hmm. So when we go there and we we're talking to them, we're, we're very cognizant of, of those cultural things and how they treat people and what their mission is. And do we believe it? You know, do they believe in ours? Like that's those are all you're sniffing each other out. But then knowing that they are already investing in some aspect of your value prop, that means they already value it. And we've realized that our best partners already value what we do. We don't have to explain to them what we do. We might see a you know a company that's in desperate need of product development. They they're spending so much money, so much effort building stuff that doesn't move the needle for their whatever the intended purpose is because they're not doing product development the right way. But if their website is super ugly and they haven't updated it in 10 years, if um, they don't have any designers and, and they just feel like they can throw some software engineers at the problem and expect magic to come out the other end there's going to be such a huge education component that no matter how much I could help them, it'll be very hard for them to see value in it. Mm-hmm. And we just decided that we wanted to look for partners that already saw value in what we do. And it sounds like so stupid to say it out loud. Um, <laughs> of course, the first time I said it, it was just kind of, well, duh, you know, of course, but, um, but we made that mistake a lot. And, and, uh, so just don't try to force the issue. If they already value what you do and you're looking for those, markers whatever business you're in that that they're, they're already investing in that and if they're already investing in it and you come in and you blow their minds with you know a, a better way and a better approach that that sounds logical and achievable then why are you and, and they'll respect you and it'll be great
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's uh, as you said it's kind of it's kind of a duh statement but it's one that's not adhered to very often and i think being conscious of it helps you to make those decisions, to to uh, establish what you see as the things that you value most, and look for alignment there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, something that we've been kind of talking around is this uh, issue of leadership, and um, I know that you you have a you have a pretty you have some pretty strong views on. Um, how to show up. And I think that's so much part of leadership, like things like owning your mistakes and shortcomings and, um, you know, things like that. How, how do you see leadership in an organization that where you want to have a positive impact, where you want to contribute in some way?
1: Well, I, I think that that's another great question. Um, with I believe that everybody owns a piece of the culture. Everybody contributes. In any organization, if you are making boots on the ground, real-time decisions about what gets done, you're a leader, regardless of your title. In fact, you're an executive, right? Because you're making decisions on your own without being told what to do. Mm And uh, Peter Drucker, there's a really old book called The Effective Executive. It's on my mind because we're actually going through it with, with some of our more senior team members right now. And, and by the way, not all of them have management or leadership roles officially in their title, but make no mistake, they're leaders in, in the company. And so I think there's this mindset of empowerment for people to become leaders be just be a leader before you feel like you're ready own a piece of it own own the culture know that you have an impact and and fill the space and tearing that apart or you know kind of picking it apart a little bit number 1 i, I think it's really important for the top leadership, people that necessarily run the company. First of all, they have to model that behavior. And one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs especially to, to do, it seems, is to um, get to the point where you're letting go. Yes. Letting other people fill their space. Mm-hmm. If you want an effective organization and you want to groom effective leaders, then you can't put people in a box and say, You are a designer. You are, you are a user experience designer. That's what you do here. That's all you do here. You do your job. Because that user experience designer may have an incredible business mind, or they may have an incredible visual design skill set they may have an incredible way of thinking about um, psychology or anthropology in a way that just supercharges a product. You should let them be as big as they, as they can be, fill their own space. So I think real leadership is not management. It's management is like making sure that the tasks that you're doing are being done in an effective time efficient way, efficient time efficient way. Um, being effective and, and being a real leader is, a, is all about letting people be as, as you know, fill their own space. So I do think it's cultural. And I, I think, you know, Jason and I are lucky enough to agree on, on how that kind of stuff is, should be handled and, and exemplified in our, our, uh, our top level leadership.
0: And you, and Jason is your co-founder. He's your business partner. That's right. Just for people to know who that is.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's great. And so that like, we have to make be an example of that, but it's more about empowering other people to go out and and do their thing. And you asked to, you know, there was a piece where it's like, own your mistakes. Well, it's another obvious does statement that you have to be in an environment where it's okay to make mistakes. Now it's not okay to make mistakes over and over and over again. Um, (laughs) That will get you fired in any company. It's nothing personal doesn't matter how much they like you, right? Like if you can't perform the job, you're not having fun. We're not having fun. It it just doesn't work. But if somebody is trying something new or novel or they're pushing the envelope or they're just, you know, being creative and they want to try something, they're trying hard and they have the company's best intentions in mind. You're going to fall flat on your face sometimes, but you just have to, yeah, there, there's a very cultural component where it's it has to be okay to make those mistakes, and if it's okay to make the mistakes, it's okay to have full personal accountability for what happened, and then you can immediately move to how do we avoid that in the future, or what do we learn, or you know how can we build on it. So, sure. you know, I think there, it, those are those are great questions because I think about it in terms of not just if you're if you're in a leadership position in a company you can affect the company culture. You are affecting the company culture and you should, you know, you should realize that and, and, and work towards creating a company culture that you want to show up to every day. And, yeah. and also if you're looking for a startup to work for, or, a you know, 10,000 person corporation to work for, look for the same stuff. and, find a place that fits you because if, if if you're misaligned on how how leaders work, how managers work, if you're misaligned on, you know, whether or not there's a culture of being able to fail and not get fired, if you're misaligned on, you know, getting stuck in a box and being allowed to do that one job, that's just not the right spot for you. So, you know, it, it's a very intentional thing and it's unfortunately hard hard to get right and we're very lucky that we've been able to do that and a, a huge part of that is consistency you know between my co-founder Jason and I and a huge part of it is just extremely we got extremely lucky and we're so grateful for uh, you know some core team members that have been with us for a really long time that hold us accountable to making sure this culture stays that way And you just you have to listen and make sure that you're hearing when there's, when issues come up, because they will, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've referred to your co-founder, and that's an arrangement that is something that some people move towards, some people shy away from. So how have you made that work? How have you made that collaboration effective, especially long distance, because Jason's in California, so...
1: Yeah, he is. And that's really hard. We're trying to get him to move here. Um, And and I hope, I hope he will. And every time he visits, I just realize again, how we have no idea how much we're missing by not having him here. Hmm. He does a really great job taking a minute, you know, before he gets into work stuff when he calls any team member to check in with them and and do some relationship building and stuff, but it's it's tough over the phone. that said when I first met Jason he was living in Spain they lived in Spain for uh, two or three years I don't remember his wife was teaching English and he worked on this on the same team as I did at a public consulting group and so our our entire relationship he first it was Spain and then he moved back to California our entire relationship started out remote and you know still remote Um, when we I worked with him for three years before we broached the topic of starting a company. And we were so passionate about the software that we were building and we were both software engineers. So um, although we have a creative company now, we both started out as nerds and he still is one. I'm I'm recovering. <laughs> but he, So we're both technical background. We're working on the same team and he thinks something's supposed to be done one way. I think it's supposed to be done the other way. And we would be almost yelling on the phone on these conference calls. I'm sure making a lot of people really uncomfortable and you'd hang up and then five minutes later I would need something. I'd call him up and it was just, it was like nothing happens. Like, Hey man, how's your family? And we, we were picking that apart one night when he was here visiting and we realized that there was a complete, disconnect from the way we felt about each other and our friendship and our ability to work together and be cool with each other and the passion that we had for wanting to build things the right way Mm -hmm. and in fact that became you know maybe one of the first conversations about well what it would look like what would it look like to build something the right way and and that's when we started talking about understanding the business requirements because we would just get stuff handed down you know from from the consultants that we rarely even ever had a face to the name. Um, and then, you know, utilizing real design, like we were just really grooving on the the fact that we were hacking together these user interfaces and stuff and that we knew they were bad because we didn't have any designers, we really wanted some. And you know, how do we do it? Just, it it became this, this conversation of like, we're frustrated with how the way that we're doing things now, the end result is, you know, less than desirable in our opinion and how, how would we fix all that? And the way that we collaborated and knew that we could work together and knew that we, we could not allow work to interfere with our, our personal relationship, you know, and friendship that, that we would be probably pretty good business partners, even though he wasn't here. Mm-hmm. So when we decided to start where Um, we basically just started, we hadn't thought through hardly anything of what this company was going to turn into and we just said, Hey, we want to build, we want to build products the right way and we're going to try it. And that was 2013, we we launched our first site in, um, June 4th or 5th. And that's kind of when we celebrate Heather's birthday, I I should really know the date. And, and we've had ups and downs and, and I think the thing is with, with business partners, it, it can be the best thing ever. Um, and it can, it can feel like you're fighting with your spouse and it, it's, if, if more founders thought of business partners or co-founders as spouses, as like this is a marriage relationship that you're getting into, it's going to have its ups and downs. You're going to hate each other every once in a while. Um, especially when the other person's right and you're wrong. (laughs) You're going to go through some of the worst times, most stressful times um, you can with one another. And by the way, your spouse doesn't understand like your real spouse. um, My wife, like doesn't like me saying this, but it's so true. She, she does not understand the stress of uh, running and and growing a business. Just like I don't understand childbirth. Right. So Mm -hmm. there's, unless you're a co-founder of a, of a growing business and you're going through these growing pains, you have no concept of what, uh, what the other person is going through. So having a founder, a co-founder, you have somebody to relate to baked into this whole thing, right? And I would strongly advise any founders, co-founders, whatever, to go find other CEOs, other founders that they can, that can relate to the same stuff and, and, you know, start your own therapy session there, but
0: um, I, <laughs> well, that's in, it's invaluable to be able to share those experiences because you're right. It's it's a unique situation that not everybody has been in, and uh, it's a, there's a lot at stake because uh, when you take business personally, um, I don't mean in a, a ego egoistic way, but rather it's important to you. It, it holds value, and you want to make it happen. Um, It's,
1: yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to build off what you said. I mean, it it can feel so lonely when things are low and you can feel, you know, so you can celebrate things that other people may not even understand why it's a big deal. And you have somebody to do that with.
0: Yeah. absolutely.
1: I I love having a co-founder. I've been able to take vacations for the last few years and not think about work. Yeah. And that's because I trust Jason so much.
0: And that's rare for entrepreneurs in the early years to be able to do that.
1: It is, it is. And, and we, you know, beyond us, our skill sets are different. I never was a great software engineer. Um, I've always been a, a good, you know, decent passable product thinker, but wasn't very good as a software engineer. Jason great at it. So he's our CTO. So there's obviously a, a, a difference in skill set. There's a there's a difference in risk tolerance. Where I I am way more likely to just hammer down on the gas pedal and go for it. And Jason is this is the brakes, and it, it's it's needed. It's necessary. We make smarter business decisions because we're combined um yeah,
0: because because of him asking those questions and yeah and of you being able to say hey let's go for this i mean this is an opportunity let's do it so it's a good it's a good combination and it's really highlighting how you're bringing together different strengths it's not like your your business partner is a clone of you it's someone who's bringing different things to the table which is that so valuable
1: yeah and, we, and it's it's 50 50 i mean we've had Um, we've had many times where as far as pushback and and stuff like that he's asked really good questions and we've said hey you're right we shouldn't do this it's too high of a risk and then you know the other 50% of the time you know we've been able to state a case and have a a reason for for taking those risks that's logical and, and aligned with the you know the five-year plan for Antherware. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a big fan of business partners. I, I do think that they're very hard to find. Um, I've talked to probably five, maybe six, early-stage founders in the last month that are looking for a co-founder, and I, I'm. It's almost like if I had a tender for co-founders, that people would use it. <laughs> and, um, and it's it's, ter- it's a terrible terrible spot to be in. You mm-hmm. would rather not have a co-founder than have the wrong one. You, yeah, absolutely. I could hire I could hire somebody to give me you know to push back on my ideas for a lot cheaper than that you know it costs to have a co-founder from an equity standpoint, right? Yeah. So so there's plenty of other options to fill those gaps and skill set, but you know just don't rush into the okay. co-founder thing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a tendency to want to um, make a quick choice. You can just get on with things. But uh, yeah, I like your business idea, Tinder for (laughs) co-founders. I I wanted to do
1: with me, be my (laughs) co-founder.
0: You already have one. well, John, I know there's there's a, the one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up and and uh, do our rapid round of questions, and that is I, I know you've seen this in action where tens of millions of dollars get spent on paying big consulting companies to end up with a product that just isn't that great, and you've you've made references to some things like the the user experience, and what's your perspective on that as as far as um, companies investing lots of money and not having that outcome.
1: My perspective is that it's a travesty. Hmm. It it shouldn't happen. Um, one of the things that startups deal with and early stage companies is one of the big, pro- big reasons they die is because they have these, you know, undercapitalized underfunded projects. They don't have enough money and momentum to get where they need to go before the, they're out of slugs and the, and the business dies. And you think about that, there's all sorts of other things too. You think about that and you think about you know, Hertz, the, the car rental company suing Accenture right now for upwards of you know 30 some million dollars because they paid them to design and build a, basically a new booking website with a mobile component and they spent $30 million and it, it doesn't work. Mm it didn't even have a viewport for tablets which is one of their heaviest use things it's a basic requirement this there are a lot of stories like that um i've got a friend who's a a c-level executive at at another large you know three billion dollar company and they just hired a big firm and they they spent ten million dollars just to design it paid another firm millions of dollars to build it and it, it And at some point you might think like, well, maybe it just takes $15 million to build something for a $3 billion company. Right. And that's wrong. It doesn't. It's ludicrous to think that. In fact, it gets worse. And not only that, but, you know, think about Gmail, Google, right? The Google Gmail team started out with somebody working 10% of their time. and Then they got some people on their team and, and, They went from like four people to when, when the beta launched, I think they had like 12 or 15 people to launch Gmail. It's a huge platform, but like software is really scalable. It's, it's not building something scalable and big that works for a lot of people is not even innovative anymore. We know how to do it in our sleep. And so think of the way that big companies build that kind of, dollars to a project is by having tons of people on it to work on different parts of the project. If you can imagine a team of two or three people working on a, an idea, everybody's going to know why they're doing what they're doing and how their contribution fits in. 10 people, now you got to be really careful about project management. You have, to, you have to be pretty organized from a project management standpoint. I would say, I would argue very organized project planning, project management. Um, You're gonna have different teams. Maybe you've got a team to work on this component, that component, you might have a mobile team. Their teams are gonna be multifaceted. You're gonna have designers working with with engineers. You're gonna have a QA person. Um, There's already a lot of complexity just in managing that amount of work for 10 people, right? Now think about a team of 20. So, you've got multiple engineering teams, multiple design efforts. It all has to come into a cohesive experience at the end of the day. The teams that build products like the, the, the one that was built for Hertz have hundreds of people touching the product. Yeah. Think about the communication complexity to make sure that people know what, why they, what they're doing is and how it's contributing to the project. It's impossible. Yeah. It's one those requirements didn't, requirements you know, didn't work.
0: Well, even to get to the point of everyone understanding the overall picture and continuing to keep people updated on that, because things shift and change. I mean, that's a major undertaking in and of itself. So, yeah, I, mean, I can, I, I can yeah, see your point.
1: Yeah, I believe strongly that that we're going to see a radical shift in the way these large companies get these projects done, because we already care more about design and experience, and um, as opposed to a list of requirements. And a quick a quick example of that would be, you know, if I told you about this amazing meal that we were gonna have and it was going to have, you know, um, this roasted chicken and beets and, you know, root other root veggies and some fresh, you know, this and that. And I, I described this amazing meal. You like everything that I said, um, you would say, yeah, I want that. I'll buy that. Give me that. And that is an experience. The preparation, the display, the, the proportion, is all, it, it, everything makes that an amazing dish. The way that software products get built when you have that many people on them is like we have to get this feature done. And that's like taking that meal and putting it in a blender, blending it up and delivering it, and saying, hey, I have everything that you asked for in this <laughs> meal. It's disgusting, right? And and that's kinda what that's kind of what um, design thinking is trying to change, you know, a little bit. It's more about the experience. It's not the it's not mm-hmm. the list of features, right? It's about attacking the thing that's meaningful to the end, to the end user.
0: Well, it's a good analogy, and I think, um, I mean, it really addresses the question of what do you end up with when you have so many people involved? It's no longer the unique uh, experience that is felt by the person. It's just this sort of uh, homogeneous uh, that uh, doesn't really serve anyone. So, yeah, I mean, thanks for addressing that. So, yeah, it's a good way to think about it. Well, John, the way I always wrap up these interviews is with three rapid round questions. So quick questions, quick answers. Are you game?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Great. All right. The first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: I think you, you have no idea in the ways in which it comes back to you. And mm-hmm. when you give impact, and we, we do a lot of work in, in our community as well, which we didn't talk about at all, but we take on a project a year and and donate time to it. And sometimes we just don't know if it's ever going to benefit us. And that's just not the point, but it always has. And you, you you have no idea how many people you reach by having that posture in the places where you work and live.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I would have loved to get into that. We'll have to save that for another interview. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I agree. I think we don't always recognize the impact that we have. And um, a company like yours, giving something in the community, it's not immediately apparent what the outcome will be. But uh, clearly, it's it's been beneficial, and I think that's true pretty much across the board. So I, thank I, you. I,
1: I know this is a uh, wrap. But can I add one little thing? Yeah that I just want to make another point that when you, when you are working on your culture and say, Hey, I want to make this a great place to work, which I, I will share our playbook to anybody, right? Because I, I believe that this is a, a, a wonderful trend in our, our business world to, to care about people. And I want to see more companies do that. But one person's life, if you, if you change one person's life, you change their entire universe. So the impact you have—it's not just about like, oh, we do these great things in the community. It's like, oh, I gave you a shot, and you were working in the service industry for 14 years, and, and then took a bunch of UX UX classes, and you turned into one of my best UX people. You're making, you know, great wages, and and you know, change. You can change people's lives, and don't forget that that's changing their entire universe.
0: Mm, that's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, and that's a very generous offer. So I uh, I know you do a lot of work in the community and sharing your perspectives on business and helping other business owners to be successful. So uh, I know that's that's part of your largess, your part of your generosity. So thank you for that, John. Sure. Well, the second question is, uh, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Uh. It's so obvious, like hiring people that are better at this stuff than I am (laughs) every time, I mean, I'm, I am working to put myself out of a job and, um, it's hiring getting, convincing people to jump on board when we're small rebellious that are smarter and more equipped to do an amazing job than you as the founder do that for people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, the last question is what's one insider piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how do I have more impact? How do I positively affect my own environment in the larger world? What would you say?
1: You know, I would tell them that, if you, ha- if you have an impact mindset and you want to do it, do it whether or not you feel like you can afford to or not, mm. because it makes you feel rich. And there's actually studies about people that, that buy name brands and because they, they just want to associate with like, well, I don't need to buy a generic. I mean, it's, it's weird. Um, it's the same stuff. And then after giving to a charity, Somehow their, their compass had shifted enough that they, that they buy different products. They buy generic brands. They don't have to flex. It's a weird study, but it makes you feel rich. Even if you don't have a lot as a company, that's going to be part of your culture and you want to have some sort of impact in your company. Give now, give a little bit, do what you can you'll feel more successful. You'll feel like you're on a mission and you know, you won't regret it. Yeah. We've done that. We've, we've been able to, we've actually had conversations about not doing that. I mean, it's, it's not like we are not perfect. And we, I remember, um, we had a really lean year and we hadn't done a big project and it got to, to the end of the year. We had very little money left over. We were profitable by like $40. and um we had an opportunity to uh work with this charity like right at the end of the year and it was like you know i'm a i'm a believer and i felt like it was just like yeah the big man upstairs was like yeah you said you're gonna do this i'm giving you one more chance man (laughs) and we didn't have any money to do it and um we were talking ourselves out of it i mean we were we were running away from that because it's like we don't have the money like surely we're not supposed to you know, this, this mission is conditional, right? It's only, it's only when we have access and and we can give it. And, um, we just realized that that's not either one of our hearts. And, um, we told the team about it and and we all ended up chipping in and and making it happen. And it ends up, it ends up being something that means more than, it certainly means more than the $40 of profit or saying that we were profitable that year. Um, so I would just say, just do it. Like even if you feel like you can't, you know you're not there yet you will feel better um make your impact now don't wait
0: mm, that's great well thank you John and thank you for our conversation today i I always find our conversation so um, inspiring and it makes me think about things that I'm doing and uh, that i'm I'm helping my clients do so it's uh it's been so great to have this conversation with you I think uh you're um, your leadership in, in your own company, in the community are are uh, really valuable. So thank you so much awesome. for sharing that with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I, I so much enjoy speaking with you as well. And I and, um, uh, can't wait to chat with you again sometime.
0: Yeah, me too. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Uh, our website, com, W-A-R-E. Um, if you type in the other you know, like clothes you wear spelling, you will get a completely different company. And if <laughs> <laughs> we do not sell ears and tails, we sell uh, product development. So yeah, go to our website, anthro.com. There's contact forms there. Um, you, can, you can game the system right now and get to a two-hour two uh, consult for free if you look at the options. Um, that's the best way.
0: Great. Well, John, thanks again for being here and for the work you're doing in the world. Thanks for having me. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.